welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 112. On Horror Movie Podcast, you hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman, Josh, and Jay. How long has this been going on, this this thing? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> a couple years now. I'm excited to be here tonight. We've got a, a lot of things to talk about, in fact. But I want to welcome back a blast from the past. A lot of people know him as the Wild Man on the internet. That's right. He is one of the hosts on the Terror Troop Horror Podcast. He's also been on the Cinema Beef Podcast, NFW Commentaries Podcast, and the Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. We welcome back Mr. Willis Wheeler. Hey, peeps. Long time no talk to. Nice to have you back. <laughs> yeah. Welcome. What have you been into, Willis? Usual stuff, going to wrestling. I was actually up at Harrisonburg, PA <laughs> last week. <laughs> Going to an indie show, so I was up by Dr. Shock's way and going to movies and working on my YouTube channel, and Hasbro is getting all my money because they got a whole bunch of Transformers and Marvel action figures coming out this year, so I'm going to be broke. Willis is an avid toy collector. He's got an impressive collection. You've even been featured on that TV show, what is it, Toy Hunter? Yep. Very impressive. So thanks for joining us, Willis. The first thing we want to get into tonight is we wanted to talk about a a recent loss. It was a blow for our community and for the cinema at large, the loss of Bill Paxton. Josh, how did that hit you? It was one of those things. Well, the first thing I saw was on Twitter, and it was actually David Chen from the Slash Filmcast had posted, Bill Paxton passes away. And then a few seconds later, he said, no, wait, this is a rumor. It's not actually true. And then he posted... No, some people are saying it's true. Some people aren't. And uh, I was just like waiting with anticipation watching his Twitter feed. Like, what's going to happen? This is real. And so, um, you know, Juan, one of our faithful listeners, messaged, hey, did you guys hear about Bill Pax? And I said, no, no, that was that's a rumor. That didn't really happen. He's like, you should look this up. It, it really happened. <laughs> and, uh, I was devastating. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I'm that's- a huge Bill Paxton fan. One of my favorites. And, uh I, just one of my favorite actors. I think he's just an incredibly um, charismatic guy. He's he's like the kind of guy you want to know. He plays psychos a lot, too. And he plays jerks a lot, too. But when he's playing charismatic, he's just so likable. And even when he's playing crazy, he's pretty hilarious and fun to watch. He's just a great performer. And uh, for me, Frailty is like one of my all-time favorite mm-hmm. horror films and to have him in that. And, and Big Love is one of my all-time favorite TV dramas. And so between those two, there's a million others, but between those two, it was a big loss. Totally agree. Near Dark and uh, Aliens. Yeah, so yeah. Some of some yeah. of our favorites, right? I mean, as far as a, horror a, cinema goes. A small role in The Terminator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beginning very, there, very small. A lot of people. I was surprised to find out his his screen debut was in Stripes, which I watched all the. Well, not I should say screen debut. Um, that wasn't screen debut. He was in a, a movie in the seventies, also. But, um, but he was. I was surprised he was in Stripes. I mean, he's only listed as soldier, so apparently it wasn't a big yeah. role. <laughs> uh, but I watched Stripes all the time uh, on cable TV. 
Um, and you know, some uh, th- something that I always think about. But yeah, I mean, obviously, Near Dark. I think that's probably that could be my favorite performance of his. Mm. Um, just that vampire, that whole family is is amazing. Um, but probably something I will always think about when I think of Bill Paxton is uh, the documentary from two thousand one, Ghosts of the Abyss, that he did with James Cameron. Because Neat. what I th- always thought was interesting about it was this was something that, you know, they went back, back to the Titanic and, and they took these submersibles down to the surface and on when these, you know, these bots into the ship and video and everything. Well, you know, James Cameron is a big Titanic enthusiast and, and this whole trip had, had scientists and oceanographers and researchers and historians on it and Bill Paxton, who, who, um, James Cameron invited along, he said, in passing when they were making Titanic, but then said, no, I really want you to come. And Bill <laughs> Paxton went, and he was like he was like the everyman. He was afraid. <laughs> like, he, he was sitting there, I mean, when the ship was about, when the sea was in the submersible going down, he's like, this is more adventure than I signed up for, you know? He was really <laughs> nervous, and I think my favorite moment is when he's talking to the guy in the submersible, and he's trying to figure out, okay, the oxygen levels are okay, and what if, what if that goes below, you know, what is it? But then he looks at the guy and says, but I understand that if we get caught down there, you can drop the battery, you know, the, the big battery at the bottom of these things and we'll float to the top. And the guy's like, oh, I, I hope I don't have to, you know, he was Russian because it was a, a joint Russian uh, or uh, they had a, um, the, I think the mothership was a Russian ship. And the guy says, oh, I hope we don't have to do that because it's very expensive. And Bill Pax says, oh, how much? He's like, $250,000, and Bill Paxton looks at him and goes, would you take a check? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. That sounds like him. So I liked that. It was, and he was the narrator, and it just, I, I think about, I, th- I just think about that because I thought it was so cool that he was even there, you know, and he was kind of like approaching it the way that any of us would approach it as an outsider. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but just as an actor, he was so, he, he really was, he really was, uh, and he was in a lot of genre films, too. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he started with Roger Corman along with James Cameron, you know, back yeah. in the day. And um, so, yeah, it was a big loss. I you was know, at work. I was actually at lunch at work when I found out. I was just checking my phone and I saw the announcement. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of uh, Corman and, and Cameron and, and the Terminator, uh, Bill Paxton is arguably the only actor who was ever killed on screen by the Terminator Xenomorph and the predator. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, right. Right. You know, some people will argue that Lance Hendrickson also has that distinction, but um, some people say, well, Hendrickson didn't die. And at first he just ripped in half. And then (laughs) Hendrickson said he, he says that his character Terminator survived because he always wanted to come back and we didn't technically see him die. So, um, you know, who knows if, if, if Hendrickson was also killed, but, um, you know, it, he's one or one or two of the only actors ever killed by all three. So. That's pretty. Well, with the um, whole Lance Hendrickson thing and Alien versus Predator, he died of a heart attack. The right. Predator didn't kill him. He died of a heart attack before the Predator got a hold of him. So that don't count. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Oh. <laughs> Technicality there. Yeah, so what was your favorite Bill Paxton role, Willis? Did you have favorites? Of, of course, mine it always will be in Aliens. Game over, man! What are we going to do, man? Game over! <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, that is just because he, he loses it. So, I mean, he was, he was, you know, he was talking so big at the beginning and 
it just it just completely breaks down. <laughs> yeah. We did a little poll for our listeners on Twitter just to see, you know, what they thought the most significant horror role would be. And uh, our tweet says, let's celebrate Bill Paxton in our morning. What's your favorite Paxton horror role? And 52% of our listeners said aliens was their favorite Bill Paxton role. Yeah. Yeah. 22% said frailty, 12% said near dark and 14% said other, which surprised me because I can't think of a lot of other great horror roles that aren't in those top three. <laughs> and I was trying to think, I wonder what those 14% <laughs> other people are, are chiming in on there. Um, I was thinking, is it club dread? Are these all just club dread fans? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it might be predator too. That's true. That's true. Maybe. Yeah, there you go. Even though that movie's not great. Um, it's not a much beloved film. But, no. but I, I actually like it. But. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all right. He, uh, this wasn't a horror film, but he was also in U571, which is a submarine movie that I happen to love. I think that I saw that in the theater like four times. No kidding. Well, I just talked about The Last Supper when we reviewed um, The Bye Bye Man recently. He was in Stacy Title's film, The Last Supper, and he's kind of this obnoxious guy that gets murdered at the beginning of that film. But that that was when I watched the movie, I wasn't sure what I was getting myself into. When Bill Paxton showed up, I was like, okay, this is going to be quality. I, you know. I, right. I, I just saw he was also in 1983's Mortuary. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, of course, Weird Science is another one of his uh, right. best known characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, uh, he, he had some funny quotes twister don't you love twister jay uh, i i do love twister and I'll... So i really like i really like twister i don't know if it was necessarily one of bill pax's strongest performances no but i do really like uh i really like twister and i did like it philip seymour hoffman as is well. is maybe the standout yes that's, to, <laughs> yeah. that's, who I, that's who i think is would be the standout in that one absolutely well and i'll confess here i don't care if people make fun of me i i love titanic too and he's in that so i like yeah. that movie yeah. Right. And yeah. Apollo 13 and Edge of Tomorrow and yes. a lot of other great. He, he did a lot of science fiction. I, you know, he and his horror films often crossed over like aliens. So he's mm-hmm. a big science fiction guy. Brain Dead, a lot of people were mentioning, which is not to be confused with uh, Peter Jackson's film, but uh, right. know, that's a, a different one. Yeah, I was looking for a, a quote by him that I liked on um, IMDb, and he did say, quote, it's very liberating to be naked in front of a hundred people, but there's nothing sexual about lovemaking on a movie set. <laughs> I've heard that before as well. That's how he'll be always be remembered. Thanks to horror movie podcast. <laughs> That's right. We want people to know that. All right. Well, he will be missed. I love Bill Paxton. And I tell you, that was really a bummer too, because he died on February 25th. I heard about it on the 26th, which was Oscar Sunday. That's like my favorite day of the year, and so it really did put a little bit of a damper on Oscar Sunday, unfortunately. But anyways, we also got, just so everybody knows, we got a a voicemail from Red Cap Jack, who gave a little salute to Bill Paxton. Hey, this is Red Cap Jack, listener, uh, calling to have some words for Bill Paxton, uh, specifically... Let me start that over. My My dumb phone rang in. Somehow, <laughs> I am not good at smartphones. Okay, ready? Here goes. Hey, this is Red Cap Jack, listener, uh, calling to add some words for Bill Paxton, uh, specifically 
how about a greasy pork sandwich served on a dirty ashtray? Anyway, he's going to be missed, and I just wanted to send my condolences out. Goodbye. Thanks, Red Cap Jack. That was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks. Yeah, he will be missed. I did not view the Oscars this past week. Did they have Bill Paxton in the in memoriam section or not? They didn't, but um, it was introduced by uh, Jennifer Aniston, and she mentioned him at the very beginning, and even broke down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So she referenced him. He wasn't in the slides. However, there were commercials during the Oscars that are even better than the Super yeah, Bowl was, commercials. He was in the commercials. And, and yeah, they happened to just out of luck. I think they happened to include him. And what was it, Doc? A, a Google commercial or something? Yeah, or some... for watches. I'm trying to remember what movie it was. Yeah, they showed. Um, it, was, it, was cl- it was clips from different movies with watches. And mm. I can't remember. Can't remember which movie it was that for him, but yeah, yeah, he was he was part of that sort of montage. So you didn't watch the Academy Awards, Wolfman? No, sir, I did not. Well, I will say this: um, it was the funniest Academy Awards that I can remember, and it is currently streaming in its entirety on Netflix. Watch instantly if you would like to catch up with it. I did. I did watch a lot of uh, the clips that were on Jimmy Kimmel's YouTube page, which I thought were pretty funny. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully, all that uh, commercial money will go to his wife and children and keep them going for a while. That's too bad. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. Well, on to the business at hand. Here we are. It's March first, twenty seventeen, and we've actually had a couple of. Remarkable horror films released in theaters thus far this year. And we're going to be talking about two of those tonight, which I'm really excited about. So let's move into our feature review of Get Out. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might want to, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting families and taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> so you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're about to talk about Get Out. This movie just proves one thing. Black men, stay away from them white women because you don't know what they'll <laughs> do to you. <laughs> that, that sounds like a perfect time to give our disclaimer here i think at the at the top of this review you know jay and i were talking about this a little bit before and of course you cannot discuss this movie without getting into race that's just you know it's a major element of this film but i do think it's important to say look none of us are experts on race and cultural studies we're not phds we know some and and i had talked to jay about this hopefully we can soon have some of those scholars that we you know that we had on our uh, awards jury come on and actually do like a full episode about 
like African-American representation in horror cinema mm-hmm. and have a serious discussion with some academics. But tonight is not the night we're going to do that. <laughs> so um, it will definitely come up when we're talking about this movie because it has to. But uh, we are going to be talking about it as a movie first and foremost, I think. Yes. And and I will say the wild man, Willis Wheeler, we got we got an email from him that made me smile. And I, <laughs> I loved it. He said, quote, I feel like you really need a black person on the show to help review Get Out. And so, uh, Willis, I, I I think that's wonderful that you volunteered to help us out with this. Yeah, and I think your point of view, Jay and Dave, are also equally valuable as white viewers of this film who can offer that perspective of how you, you know, related to the, the story. And personally, for me, being mixed ethnicity and in a a mixed race marriage. I think I have something to offer to that discussion, but it's not all going to be about that. Right. We're going to talk about the movie too. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. So, so off the top, let's just say, uh, this is a Blumhouse production and, um, well done. Well done. Blumhouse. I'm very pleased with this. Did you guys see how long this was like pegged at a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes? I mean, that's, it was was quite a while. This was the highest rated, movie in the history of rotten tomatoes for about a week because it had a 100% with over a 100 reviews. And so like that, that's a rarity. And of course, um, at this point that we're recording, it has 148 fresh reviews and one rotten review by Armand white. Of course. <laughs> what, what a surprise. What a so, surprise. So I don't even count that as a review, to be honest. I, as far as I'm concerned, this has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And for people who don't know, Armand White is a contrarian film critic. He's an extremely intelligent person, but it seems like if the tide, if the entire tide of, you know, the critical <laughs> cinematic community are going one way, he goes the other way. I, I, I honestly believe that sometimes he does it to be but, you know, I mean, contrary. He's, 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 He's clearly very, very intelligent. I mean, if you read his reviews, they're very well written, and he, you know, he, he, he's a smart guy. But doesn't it seem like he kind of hangs back and waits to see which way the tide is going yes. before he <laughs> submits his review? I mean, yeah. just the fact that there were already 100 fresh reviews before he wrote his review tells me something about yeah, him. Exactly. yeah. He, he's a Jay of the Dead type. Well, okay, I I take issue with that, but I will say I will admit one thing: what you just said. Sometimes I do have it in me where if I feel like everybody is just like just going like losing their minds over a film, I do, and I know this is a little bit egotistical. I'm sorry. I do feel like it's my duty <laughs> to try to look at the film more critically because sometimes I think, okay, people aren't really being you know, aren't taking a good enough look at this. But let me just say, Wolfman, Willis, Dr. Shock, even even despite all the hype, I went into this and I came out hyping it myself. This is an incredible film and I really enjoyed it. Not that we put any stock in Rotten Tomatoes, but just to put a fine point on it, there are only 16 films in the history of cinema that had a 100% rating with over 100 reviews. Okay, and this one had the most reviews of all of those films and still had maintained its 100% rating. Yes, so that's true. I mean, I don't know if the movie's that good. <laughs> right. That's, that's incredible. Wow, and especially that for a horror good. film 
And I'm hoping that some of this buzz can carry because it's a long way to go to award season next year, but I hope it can carry. Well, and, and we should really try to look at why this was received so well. So that's one of my goals in our review tonight of Get Out is to try to examine um, what it was that just impressed people and just captured their minds. So I hope we're able to communicate that. But just for a, a little tiny bit of setup here, in case people haven't seen it, what we're going to do is we're not going to give spoilers initially. So we're, and this is a very difficult film to discuss without spoilers. So this section will be rather short and then we'll give a spoiler warning because in order to get into this, we're going to have to talk about spoilers, but this was written and directed by Jordan Peele. It was his directorial debut and um, people out there will know Jordan Peele as one half of the comedy team. Yeah, Key and Peele, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, they are hilarious. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and they're, and it's clear, I mean, I've heard now many interviews with Jordan Peele where he's talked about being a, a horror fan his whole life. But it's clear even just from watching Key and Peele that they know horror. Mm-hmm. They often play on horror tropes. Yes. And very specific, like, insider information. Like, they are clearly, at least Jordan Peele is clearly a horror fan. And it's also clear watching this film, the films that he was pulling from and getting his influence from. And so... I'm really excited about this. And on Universal Monsters cast, we've talked a lot about the possibility of uh, Key and Peele meet the Universal Monsters, you know, and kind of the Abbott and Costello <laughs> tradition. Yeah, that's that would be awesome. pure brilliance right there. But now that this has happened, where he's had probably Universal's biggest success of the year, mm-hmm. at least in terms of budget to, to profit margin, and, uh, you know, it is a Blumhouse film. What I would really like to see is Jason Blum take over the Universal Monsters universe and and see that Key and Peele meet the Monsters movie happen. I'm hoping this gets us one step closer to seeing that. Yes, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Okay. So, Willis Wheeler, I got a question for you about this film. Yeah. A lot of people, I've heard a lot of people classify this. We're kind of nuts over here about subgenre, what subgenre is it? I've heard a lot of people classify it as comedy horror. And um, just to kick off things, what what are your feelings about that, Willis? I don't consider this movie a comedy haul. I just consider this movie as a straight up horror movie. It does have a little some comedic elements in it, but mm-hmm. what horror movie doesn't have comedic elements in it? <laughs> right. I mean, it's mostly the friend. It's 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 his friend. Yeah. Uh, well, there's one the, comic uh, relief character, but I do think right. that there's a strong satirical black comedy running through the main storyline as well. Although I don't think it ever sacrifices the scares, and, and it definitely works to the point where I was terrified for the, him, Chris, the entire time. You know, I mean, I was never laughing at the situation he was in. There are a lot of kind of yeah. like knowing, laughing nods to. The audience is like, look how racist this is, but but it's definitely not like laugh out loud funny. I think Chris's friend, whose name I'm blanking on, Rod, uh, he is a comedic character mm-hmm. through and through, and that's fine. I don't think that sucks any of the uh, comedy out of the film. And I heard uh, Jordan Peele talking about Rod in an interview, and he talked about for him, the purpose of that was actually to ground the movie and make it feel more real. Because Rod is saying the things that an audience might yell at the screen. Mm-hmm. And, right. and of course, I uh-huh. mean, Rod is 
straight up comedic with the with the TSA stuff. Yeah, that's probably the most like overtly comedy premise that you know is in the film. But even his conspiracy theories and stuff, which seem outlandish at the beginning, end up kind of paying off <laughs> at the end. So, um, you know, not to get into specifics with you know with spoilers, but I think um, Rod is actually kind of our um, you know our our prophet, you know, kind of the Sydney character in Scream, or or even if we want to go to you know the traditional horror characters of our. Um, you know, the prophet of doom, you know, just saying, uh, camp blood, you know, like it's, he's kind of that character. That's like, get out of there, leave, you know, doom awaits you. And he knows it from the very beginning. Yeah. The harbinger of doom. That's right now. Um, thank you. I was blinking and I was, I was continuing <laughs> to talk, hoping I would think. of <laughs> Well, Wolfman. So yeah, the, the, uh, Rod Williams character, the best friend, I agree that he is he is like kind of a stand-in for the audience surrogate, but I I also would agree that even Chris, the lead character himself, I still feel like we can see through his eyes as audience members as well. So I think that both of those characters serve as audience surrogate in this film. But pretty interesting. Now, Josh, you said something a minute ago. I wanted to ask you about, and I'm honestly not trying to be funny. And I just I thought maybe you were being like doubly clever now when you call this a black comedy i've heard like um tyler <laughs> tyler perry films referred as black comedy did you mean oh, did you mean dark comedy or are you saying that this is both like along the lines of um quote-unquote black comedy as in tyler perry films as well as a dark comedy i'm, I'm not i'm so- what I'm definitely not doing is referencing Tyler Perry. Okay, well, I just... <laughs> there, is a, there, is a, there is a style of comedy that is dark comedy, but, you know, I think black comedy, it's, it's been... I mean, I'm not the one that coined this term. It's a... Right. It's an it's a even more just kind of like evil form of comedy, which I personally quite enjoy, you know? Yeah, it's like dark-natured, absolutely. Okay. All right, so um, Dr. Shock, you just saw this in the theaters today, right? You? Yes, I did. Okay, how, how did you surprisingly, feel? Surprisingly enough, at a one fifteen in the afternoon show on a Wednesday, there were still about 30 people in the audience. Yes, <laughs> I love to hear that. That is yeah, great. Which, is, which was great. Um, you know, I, I went in with uh, only knowing what I had seen in uh, the trailer which really does not give you an idea of where the film's going to go. You know, it gives you a general uh, a general idea of what's going to happen at one key point, but it doesn't... Uh, I like the trailer because it, it, it was a good trailer because it engages you, but it doesn't give any... It doesn't give a whole lot away, you know? Um, and what I really liked... Uh, what I really liked about the movie was just... It, it, it's a unique... It is unique. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a very unique sort of story, mm-hmm. um, and I was not expecting it to go in the direction that it did. Uh, and there yes. was even a, a little twist in there that maybe didn't surprise me a hundred percent, but probably got me about eighty-five percent, eighty-five to ninety percent. Wow. Okay. You know. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really had a. I had a. It's one of those horror movies that that it's it's ver- it's it's a lot of fun. You know, and it really does sort of drag you in and, and it keeps you there. And I didn't even mind the the comedic friend um, towards the oh, end. I loved the comedic friend. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was I, having I liked, a blast. I, I, I thought that I, I liked it, too. Um, 
so yeah, I was I was pleasantly I shouldn't say surprised because I'd heard a lot of good things about it, but I was very entertained. Yeah. What was your, I would love to hear what everyone's theater experience was like, because for me, that was definitely an additional meta element of of watching this movie was (laughs) the makeup of my theater audience and their different reactions to the film. Um, Like Willis, you're in Washington, D.C. What's your uh, theater experience like with Get Out? I went opening day at the 1030 show. It was packed. And it was nothing but us brothers and sisters in there. So, you know, we was cutting up from beginning to end. So. <laughs> I love it. So ours, mine was was definitely a mixed audience, which I loved. I mean, there was, I would say that added like 25% more tension to the viewing experience. Uh, there were a lot of people who were like in mixed race couples, which was awesome mm-hmm. because like, there was like a lot of like weird distrusting glances back and forth between them during the screening. (laughs) (laughs) And there was definitely a lot of like laughing at some things and the other person looking at him like, why are you laughing at that? Like, that's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And there was a lot of nervous laughter from a lot of the white audience. And there was a lot of our not, not getting that this is a joke from some of the white audience. And I would say, you know, I watched it in Utah, and um, I would say that is the most black people I've ever seen in one place at a time, <laughs> which was awesome. In Utah, and, yes, yes, yeah, in Utah, mm-hmm. and I would just say it was still not, still not many. There's maybe, uh, maybe like ten folks in the in the theater there, but man, it made for such an amazing viewing experience. I don't know what, like, I don't know how people see me as from the outside, but. For myself, just being kind of mixed race, for some reason, I just kind of feel in the middle of the two groups. And so, I, I don't know, I feel like I've got, like, the best seats in the house for, like, these kinds of race <laughs> discussions. And just kind of like I'm having so much fun when everyone else is uncomfortable. But That's really funny. Yeah, I had um, kind of a similar experience. I went to the late show, and there were probably, like, um, in my late screening, there were probably, like, 40 to 50 people in there. And uh, same thing, I'm in Utah as well, and, you know, there were a lot of, uh, well, like you said, it was a a whole blend of people, but what I noticed, Josh, that was hilarious to me is the uh, white people in the theater were relatively quiet and I think they felt very uncomfortable by, by the, and then, um, because, because you, you do, it's like, I mean, how do I even explain it? Because yeah, see, seeing it and, and honestly, like, I feel like this film kind of exposes some of the dumb things that, um, that, that people can say and do. And, and it was, a little bit uncomfortable because honestly, I think this is an illuminating experience. So I was thankful for the experience and it was hilarious to me to notice how sheepish and mild mannered and quiet the white people in the theater were. Yeah. When the, when the movie was over, like I stayed till the end of the credits and then I, you know, the lights came on and I looked around and there were only Brown and black people left in the theater at the end of the credits. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay. But there was applause, man, when that when that uh, movie ended. Yeah. And in my theater, it was it was a very enthusiastic audience for the most part. That's freaking awesome. What about you, Doctor Shaka? What was the yeah. reaction? 
Oh, yeah. The, I mean, everybody was, uh, I can't say there was uh, a lot of applause, but there was, uh, people were definitely, you could tell they were sort of energized by it. And one thing I want to throw out, you mentioned, Josh, about sitting through the credits. I was sitting there, I usually sit through the credits. I usually do. I'll stay in the movie right to the very end, you know, to when that the lights come back up and, and, and everything is done. I noticed most people leave at the credits, and that's fine. You know, whatever. There was a time I used to do that myself. But at the theater today, they came in and they were, you know, the, the, to clean the theater when it was done. And they're standing down there just looking up at us. It was me and another couple that were waiting through the credits. Everyone else had left. Yeah. And they're standing down there waiting to clean the damn theater for us to leave. It's almost like a pressure type thing. So the other couple got up and left. Well, I got up and I walked slow. I moved my ass slow. And I went as slow as I could to go out that door. And I waited until the last little bit and the lights came up. Then I'm like, all right, fine. Go clean your damn theater. That just annoyed me. And it doesn't happen. I go to two different theaters. That happened at the one I went to today. It doesn't happen at the other one. You don't see them even start to go in there until until everything's done. Dave, Dr. Sloth, I am totally with you because it happens to me every (laughs) single week because I always wait till the end of a film. Even if it doesn't seem like it's going to have a stinger, I always wait through the whole thing. And those people just stand down there and stare at me. And I'm with you. It really annoys me, too. Uh, it, just, it got on my nerves. I was like, you know what? What do you care? You guys, we got to sweep up. Like, there's 30 people in here. What do you got to sweep up? About 12 popcorn kernels? Give it a rest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> so, anyway, so as far as um, just circling back around there to where we started, I agree 100%, Willis, with what you said there. Um, I mean, for me, this would be like a mystery first, a drama thriller second, horror film third. I mean, because it really breaks open into the horror with comedic elements, and I do think that, that that comedic character is so effective that it provides laughs throughout the film. But the tone of the film, even though it is satirical, I wouldn't call it like comedy horror per se, personally. But anyways, the wow, thing you you have horror third for this. I have horror first for sure. Really. Uh, well, I mean, I'm not saying it's not strong horror film, but like in terms of like the runtime, like for me, most of it just it seemed like pervasively it was a mystery more than anything else. And it was a very uncomfortable drama thriller tone, but it definitely breaks open to horror. I, I certainly call this a horror film for sure. But but um, w- one thing that's great about this, I, I understand that Jordan Peele actually I'm not using the right words, but I think he he took some inspiration, at least, from Night of the Living Dead when he made this film. Not enough, <laughs> in my opinion. Oh, yeah. oh interesting. Okay. Uh, we'll have to, I, I think I know what you're suggesting there. We'll have to come back to that. But um, yeah, like the best zombie films, of course, um, or the best horror films, I mean, they can work on their own terms as a horror movie but they also have this subtext that's really interesting it's like metaphorical and representative of something else and so i think that maybe that's you know obviously i think the people who go to a movie and they don't just check their brain at the door i mean people who are movie going audience who are thinkers and they're trying to see what the filmmaker's trying to say i think one reason why this hit so big is because jordan peele says a lot of great things through the course of this movie with mm-hmm. his subtext. 
Yeah, it's got this guess who's coming to dinner engine that kind of gets the story going, <laughs> and yes. then it ends up turning into kind of like, well, what if guess who's coming to dinner was a horror movie, which I think is is amazing. Um, but I think it also, you know, he's talked about his influences being Rosemary's Baby and um, the Martyrs. Even he's thrown out there as an influence on the film, which I think you can definitely see that when you look at it. Uh, you know, there, there, there's definitely a lot of horror influences on the film as well. But um, yeah, I can definitely see Night of the Living Dead. And um, what's the other? There's another big one that I'm blanking on right now. Um, I can tell you two movies that this movie basically is. Mm-hmm. It's a cross between The Wicker Man and The Stepford Wives. Stepford Wives is the one I was. That's the one. Of. Yep, mm-hmm. that's the one. Yeah, Wicker Man. Absolutely. Yeah, that that whole cult element um you know and again that's kind of pervasive and a lot of those other ones we're talking about but it's it's really interesting i i i think um i guess we shouldn't get into that element too much the wicker man element until we get into spoilers but i i definitely appreciate uh that this is a guy like we said that knows his horror and um he's taking that element very seriously despite the comedic um elements Mm mm-hmm yeah, so so let's talk about the the curtain raiser here, the opening of the film, which I think is genuinely just unsettling. As the film opens, you have a, a black man walking through a suburban neighborhood, and then there's this white car that creeps up on him, and I think it's I think it's interesting. It's a good choice that the car is you know bright white, and and he <laughs> and he feels. He feels threatened by this now. Now, Willis, tell me your reaction to this scene. What did you think of this this opening sequence? When I first seen this part, I was like, "Man, this brother is gonna get snatched up, or maybe it's the um jump out boys trying to get him." Usually, the jump out boys are the undercover police that roll up on people like that. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be like a Trayvon oh. Martin situation, basically, and I thought right. that I'm sure that was an influence. Yeah. Jordan Peele to some degree, but I was like, oh man, I, that was one element of the film that I wish they'd put a little bit heavier uh, thing on. Cause I think for people who have been in a situation where people are treating them as though they're criminals, even though they haven't done anything, which I can absolutely relate to. Um, I think that's immediately familiar where he's like, I don't I would have loved to have seen a cop in that scene first, maybe. And then, secondarily like this white car pulls up like i would like to see him get harassed once before that even and maybe it's not necessary but i think it would add an impact even at the ending of the film for me if that had happened Mm -hmm. um have have this guy walking along and police lights come on and you know what what are you doing sir just walking home like i can't tell you how many times that's happened to me in my life you know like um and so I, I don't know. I, for me, I, it was very familiar, but I think just for a general white audience, I think maybe you'd get more out of it if you'd seen, and it would have a bigger you know, landing at the end if um, we'd seen that. I agree with you, Josh, but I, I think I, if I were to guess what Jordan Peele was doing, I bet you the, um, you know, the, the hitting the deer sequence and, and the cop sequence there, I think that was supposed to stand in for that and set up the later events. Oh, yeah. But, I just think you can't you can't do it enough. Or I mean, at yeah. least just one more time would have been nice. I think I'm with that's you. fine. Yeah, I get. I mean, I get that for sure. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I would like. I, I totally see that. But, it would have also been a nice kind of bait and switch because you'd expect like he's just going to get harassed again by another cop. 
mm-hmm. at the beginning, you know, right. for me, that would have just had a bigger impact, but that's one of my very few problems with the film. <laughs> so this won't get into spoilers thing. I want to ask you guys about this. One of the most, I mentioned that it was pretty illuminating and enlightening. I think you see a film like this and it just puts there on the screen things that can be kind of abstract in everyday life. And especially if you're a white guy like me who doesn't experience a lot of the things that you guys are talking about, obviously, uh, you know, some, some of that stuff's invisible to me. But there, there's um, an element of this film where the white people are trying and failing miserably to to act normal and welcoming and they're trying so hard to be like familiar with this with this person that they're actually being offensive and um when i when i saw that 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 is very uncomfortable for me to see that because i have um you know i have regrettably i've done that kind of thing myself where i i think i'm saying something to be welcoming and you know, you know, friendly with people. And actually it's like, it's assuming too much. It's crossing the boundaries and stuff like that. And and I say that even after like, um, for example, my mom, my mother, she, she dated a black man for 10 years and, and like, he was very close to the family. He's kind of like a, a dad to me in, in a lot of ways. And, um, and I, I love that guy. And so like, even so, even with with my experience, my small experience and being familiar with, with him and his family and so forth, I, I still have found myself doing things like these white people do in this movie, and it's very upsetting to me. <laughs> well, I, th- I thought that was beautifully done and executed by Jordan Peele because it's uh, serving dual purpose, right? So mm-hmm. it's got – it's making a social commentary – about like microaggressions basically and kind of institutionalized or societal racism and just things that, and, and, and PC culture and all all of that stuff, there's commentary on all of that happening in those scenes, but it also works for the horror story as well. And Mm -hmm. you don't realize that maybe till later, but every single one of those interactions works both ways, which is brilliant. Yeah. I was thinking the same, I was thinking the same thing because a lot of what they're saying sets up that one scene. Yeah. You know, as, as uh, uh, the, well, I don't want to go, let's just say call it the bingo scene. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, where, whereas what, what uh, each person is possibly looking for. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really, I thought that was really clever. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very interesting. Genius writing. I mean, it, it sure is. <laughs> know what that part remind me of? It remind me of how they used to sell the slaves on the docks back back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. That's I was interesting wondering comparison. if that was the influence. I have you ever seen that uh, Key and Peele sketch where they're slaves being sold? Anyone? <laughs> anyway, no, no, no it's really, I haven't. I didn't. It's, it's hilarious because they're they're first up there as slaves and they're talking about how uh, you know how awful it is to be a slave, which is legitimate. But then as they start being passed over for sale, they're kind of like, "That guy's not so great." You know, why, why don't you want me? You know, like why? And it ends up being a, a sketch about in, you know human insecurity, and that's the thing what they do so well is. They take something that should be like extremely charged racially, like the selling of slaves, 
and they make it about this very universal thing about you know just people being kind of insecure and wanting to be liked and wanting to be uh, appreciated whether or not it's because they're you know being passed over on the auction block or whatever so um that that kind of called that to mind that scene for me when i when i saw that scene mm-hmm. we're about 40 some minutes into this and i think that we could probably get ready to move into our spoilers but because i hope that we can convince people to check this out I'd like to give our ratings now and recommendation for people to see this, if that's what you're going to say, which I suspect everybody will. And then we'll move into our spoiler section for those who've seen the film. So um, for me, guys, I'm just going to put it out there right now. This is a 9.5 out of 10 for me. I was so impressed with Get Out. It's truly a smart horror film. It's it's creepy. I mean, it does have some scary elements for sure, which I think is good. But it's also more than that. There's genuine motivation beneath the characters. You can see there's like an engine in this film that makes it run on a deeper level. And it's just extremely smart. This is the kind of horror cinema that that we appreciate on this podcast. So I give it a 9.5 out of 10. This is definitely see it in the theater to support great cinema. And this is a buy for me. What do you say, Willis? After sitting through such travesties of justice, so far this year in the horror realms at the movies such as Rings and the Bye Bye Man. This movie was just a breath of fresh air and it was rated R and it had a point and it had a good interesting message in the movie. I have to give this a 10. It's just a good good horror movie and I hope we have more excellent thinking man's horror movies like this. Mm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you tell people to see it in the theater and buy it, Willis? Both. Okay, you got it. All right, thank you. And what do you say, Dr. Shock? Um, yeah, my reaction is I'd say a nine. Um, uh, it was, well, as I said earlier, it was just it was just a very engaging, very entertaining movie. I thought uh, Daniel uh, Kaluuya, I, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, I thought he was great as Chris. I thought he was very, you know... It, you're really behind this guy the whole way. Um, and, uh, and Catherine Keener, boy, she was, um, <laughs> she was, she was really good in this film as well. Um, you know, I, I, I thought her scenes were, um, with him, uh, were some of the, some of the strongest, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously with, with effects wise, but, but also just the, the, just the two of them together, I thought were, were great. Um, and uh, I, I thought it was very unique. I didn't see where it was going. Um, it got me a couple times, actually. Like I said, one the one wasn't 100% of a surprise, but it still was kind of like, oh, wow. Um, I'm talking about, like, the later one, um, mm-hmm. you know, when he sort of realizes what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and then it sort of does go into martyr's territory at, 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 at one point. Um, so, yeah, this this is a nine, and it's a definite... See it in the theater, and I'll be picking it up uh, when it comes out on Blu-ray. Excellent. All right, Wolfman Josh, bring it home. What do you say? Um, I do just want to sing the praises of the rest of the cast really quick since um, we didn't talk about them a lot. Lil Rel Howery is one of my favorite comedic actors I've seen in, in a couple of years just based on this role. Mm-hmm. I, I laughed out loud almost every time he spoke during the film. I thought he was <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and I like, I think he grounded the film a lot. Um, 
Stephen Root did a good job. I think I had a little bit harder time buying into him because I'm mostly familiar with him in comedic roles, but he, he did a great job. He was excellent. Um, Betty Gabriel for me was maybe the biggest standout on the cast. Her performance was wow. terrifying. <laughs> I mean, oh, and, just, yeah. and beautiful yeah, in retrospect and just like, just kind of mesmerizing. I thought she was just amazing. Um, Marcus Henderson was good. Caleb Landry Jones was good. Bradley Whitford was really, really funny and perfect in the first half and then transitioned so well. Um, I love seeing him in horror films. You know, I, I had seen him in, you know, just he's a character actor, so he's been in a million things, and I'd seen him in, in a lot of stuff, and I was glad when he popped up in Cabin in the Woods. But since then, my wife has made me go back and watch West Wing. Where he, and so, you know, after you watch 100 episodes of somebody, I'm like in love with Bradley Woodford and, um, yeah. you know, because of the West wing and mm. man, it was, he just nails this role. Catherine Keener is always good. Um, she's haunting here. And Allison Williams is someone who I'm not a huge fan of because I'm kind of a hater when it comes to girls, but she was perfect in this role. I thought she just pulled it off amazingly. And yeah, yeah Daniel Kaluuya, he, uh, he completely carries this movie. I'd never seen him in anything else. And he is like a star. I mean, he just carried every moment of the film as incredible leading man. And the uh, <laughs> cast was exceptional. And, and and to clarify, I'm sure everybody got it, but uh, Josh does not hate girls. He was talking about the HBO show girls. <laughs> oh, the HBO yeah. show girls, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, just I just like, hate women. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, that's the uh, the HBO show girls. I apologize. No, I, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of uh, slips of the tongue here tonight between black comedy and... and <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you were going to be bailing me out all night, Josh. So that I know. we got to watch out. We got to help each other. <laughs> okay. Look, look I, I think I had actually a few problems with this movie. Normally, I would knock it down a couple points for those problems, but it's such a unique film and it's so uh, speaks to me personally so much. I feel like this is going to be one of my all time favorite movies. Like, I feel like. You know, if I was to make like a top 10 movies of the aughts, like this would come into play for me Um, (laughs) because it's just so, you know, specific in what it is. And it's something I relate to so much. And then I just love the horror and and genre elements as well. So um, I'm going to give it a 10, even though it does have some issues for me. I think for a first time filmmaker, this is up there with some of the films we talked about last year, like The Witch and, and Green Room and uh, you know, this is one of the best directorial debuts I've ever seen, uh, in my opinion, in the horror genre, definitely. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just a just an awesome film. I tell people to see it in the theater immediately. I almost saw it twice before this review because I just like I wanted to I wanted to see it again. And yeah. I'm definitely buying the Blu-ray uh, the second this comes out. But um, you know, I think the beginning of the film really reminded me of what true horror is all about because it's grounded in a reality that is horrific yeah you know and then it takes this turn that's a little bit more fanciful and i personally didn't need that uh you know like that's the stuff i took more issue with and had my problems with as the film kind of progressed into uh, more almost science fiction territory i guess i didn't, right. I didn't need for me but it definitely entertains and it was still fun and in a, a thrill ride the whole time uh, but I, you know, for me, you talked about like it's uh, you know mystery first and a comedy, whatever. For me, this is like deftly delivered social satire in 
a horror engine soaked in black comedy. Mm-hmm. That's well said, Josh. Absolutely. And I'd just like to chime in. I agree with you 100% on a lot of the things you said there. Um, I the As you referred to the, like, the, the science fiction type aspect of it, um, yeah, that's where my half point came off. Otherwise, it'd be a perfect 10. But I'm, I'm certain we'll probably be talking about this a lot in our top 10 list of 2017 and in the Horror Cinema Awards of 2017. I mean, this film is going to be the one to beat this year somehow. And, uh, and and the other thing is, the cast, I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned the cast before we get into the spoilers because I, I have to back you up 100% there too. This, I mean, we see some some top tier performances here, which as we all know, that's it's not necessarily the case in a lot of horror cinema, but but no, they they all brought it and it's fantastic. So yeah, if, listeners, if you haven't seen this film yet, please go see it and don't listen to the spoiler section yet. But for those who have seen it, let's move into our spoiler review of Get Out. Josh, the first thing I wanted to say to you, and I couldn't wait to say this, was here you have one of Josh's favorite things which is a body snatcher film, <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it doesn't reveal itself as a body snatcher film for a while. So mm-hmm. um, it, I think that's one of my problems with the movie is it takes a little bit too long to get to the turn. I think it would be more effective as a genre film if the turn came sooner, because even though the tension is incredible and it's so entertaining and edge of your seat up until the turn, it comes so late that you feel like almost like you're watching a different movie all of a sudden because it's so different um, from what's come before that. And there's it starts out with like a traditional horror stinger right at the beginning or like cold open with that scene that you talked about with the curtain raiser. Mm-hmm. But like you said, like you know we we have that scene so we know something terrible is going to happen, but it takes so long to get to the reveal of what that is. Um, I've already come up with many different solutions in my head as to what's going on um you know with the what we later find out is the grandma and grandpa character with walter and georgina played by betty uh, gabriel and marcus henderson um their performances and their you know the situations they find themselves in are so uncanny you can't help it but like trying to figure out what's going on and, and coming up with your own answers and so when the movie waits that long to reveal it for me and again i'm not a big sci-fi guy so it's kind of like yeah, I'm not I'm not quite as interested in where this went, but I was having fun for a while. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean that that part is and I realize this is fiction and so forth, but it's it's a little bit hard to swallow that they go into the whole, you know, actually physiologically placing their consciousness in another another body. What did you say, Willis? What do you think about it? I was like at first when they came apart with all the um putting a body the mind in somebody else's body. I thought it was all psychological. But then when I found out that was actually cutting people's brains out and putting brain the brains into the black people, I was like, that was a different way of doing the whole body snatches step work while yeah. I've staying. That was yeah. something different to see. I could almost have bought into a supernatural explanation easier, I think, to be honest. Maybe yeah. that's just my own personal uh, baggage I'm bringing into I, I mean, they tried to like set it up. Like, we're a cult and we figured out how to do this. I'd be like, all right. 
Well, the, <laughs> yeah. the the fact that the the father of the family was um a neurosurgeon, you know, I mean they they tried to get it there, but but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So the, that that was the most difficult thing for me. But honestly, it it really puts a lot of interesting aspects into the film because on one hand, it's like, and you guys can talk me through this and help give me more insight into this because it's like, okay, this is totally horrifying because you have white people here who want to control and basically enslave black people again. So this is like another form of slavery and that's upsetting, obviously. But then the other side of that coin, which is, I I don't even know how to to feel about this or what, I I don't think I've like processed or learned yet what Jordan Peele's trying to say the fact that the white people are, I guess, admiring and wanting to be able to have the, the superior black people's bodies, you know, you know, cause so on one hand it's like, yes, it's evil cause they're enslaving them. But on the other hand, they almost a- admire and appreciate them as well. So well, that- this film, I think it goes after uh, liberal racism basically rather Mm -hmm. than i think a lot of the time when we talk about racism we're talking about conservative racism Mm -hmm. you know i don't maybe i'm using the wrong terms for it but basically going after uh you know the old school racism is you know the master race and white people are are superior to black people this is almost like a liberal version of racism where it's like um yeah, we think they're superior, and so we want to steal their bodies from them. You yeah. know what I mean? No, you're right, Josh. I believe right. the academics are referring to it as a white liberal racism in this case, yes. Okay. Absolutely. But where, but, but where the truly terrifying part comes in is where they say that you see, there's still a portion of them left. You know, that, 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 that the old identity is not completely gone. It's just in what what they call it. Um, when in the, the sunken in the, um, place, the sunken place, yes, that they're just existing in this sunken place, and every now and again, whatever something's going to happen that's going to bring them back, you know, t- however, you know, temporarily it might be. Um, that's and that's where, where Betty and, Gabriel and, plays so incredibly. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, in that one scene, played it played it so well, and then uh, mm-hmm. later on with the Flash. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the truly terrifying part, is that they are they're they're in there watching and unable to control, um, and and just only having little glimpses, you know, like brief flashes of of the real person in there. Yeah, which which also is in line with, and obviously I can't speak to any of this experience, but it it would seem to me that it's in line with what it may have been like to be a slave where you don't really have control of your life, but they were still conscious that they didn't have their lives. Right. And mm-hmm. were controlled by white people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's why. You know, what part was interested to me was when the Asian guy was like, I don't give a damn what um race you are. And that kind of threw me off because he was like, he wanted a body no matter who it was. So right. that was an interesting part that was in the movie that kind of threw me off a little bit. Well, and Steven Root's character is kind of like, hey, all these guys are unenlightened. Like, uh, 
they're they're trying to be they're trying not to be racist, but like it's coming through. I don't even care about your race, you know. And of course, he's blind, like <laughs> like literally colorblind, um, you know, yes. in this for this character. Yeah, right. I don't care about race. I just want your artistic eye. You know, that's right. He is something. He he's not. Uh, he's like him. It just doesn't matter. He just yeah. wants. He's he's blind. He's an artist. He wants to see. But he wasn't but, even that good of an artist. That's well, the thing. But, he wasn't even that good of an artist. That doesn't slow him down from, uh, you know, uh, taking this guy's freedom from him. This doesn't, right. despite being colorblind, no, no. right? Despite yeah, being exactly. enlightened, it doesn't slow him down from taking advantage of Chris. Right? No, that's true. But but what he's really after is he wants to be an artist. He wants to. He wants to. He wants to have what what Chris has, who's who clearly has um, the the artistic eye. You know, uh, physically and you know, metaphorically, I guess is that is that he is an artist, and this guy realized he never was. What did he say? I sent in fifteen pictures to uh, was it National Geographic or something, or and until I finally realized I didn't have what it takes. Because, but you do, mm-hmm. and that's really all that he's after. I like what you were hitting on there, Josh. And uh, for a minute there on the podcast, I was feeling naked because because <laughs> honestly, what you were saying was pretty profound, actually, um, because you were talking about how the Stephen Root character was, you know, even though he was m- more, quote unquote, enlightened, so to speak, or presumably, or at least he claimed he was, he was still um, infringing upon or... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Well, he's benefiting from he's he's a uh, yeah he's in a he's in a position of privilege. Yes. you know whether he you know identifies with the other people or not, and so yeah. he's still benefiting oh. from his privilege. And I don't think that's unintentional. You know what I mean? Right. Um, thematically, I think that's important. You know, I I, I was listening to Retro Movie Geek recently. Mm-hmm. And they just reviewed Soul Man. Do you guys remember Soul Man? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And whoever their guest was on that episode, I don't remember who it was. First of all, like all of the good race discussion they have on that episode is oddly the Soul Man review could pretty much copy over and apply to a lot of the stuff we're talking about with Get Out. <laughs> Interesting. But uh, yeah, I mean, just you know, the more of the cultural discussion than specifically about the movie. But um, they're they're. Guest was saying that, uh, you know, it's not a racist movie. It's just a clueless movie. And I think what this movie kind of shows is it doesn't matter if you're clueless to it. It's still racist. Like, they're still objectively bad, even though the character's intentions are good, you know? And so I think that's the tricky thing that the movie is playing with here is, like, it's complicated. And I I don't think the movie gives easy answers. It's just saying, like, the t- it's, it's kind of just holding a mirror up to the time we're at and just saying, mm-hmm. So it's complicated. You can think you're trying to do the right thing, and you can still be horribly offensive by only talking about you know people's bodies or Tiger Woods or whatever the thing is. You know, yeah. right, right. Well, and um, I love it that you brought that up, Josh, because uh, honestly, in our <laughs> in our podcasting conversations and debates in the past, you've you've also you know, presented that same, that same circumstance to me in the past. So I think it's, I, I, it's really profound to me to like see it here in the film. So just in case the listeners are out there snickering at my reaction to this, it's not lost on me what you're saying. And I think, and I I see it. I, 
I agree with you. I think that's really profound. Um, I, I was I was not directing that at you. No, no, but it, well, I, I can I should own it though because sometimes uh, you know unintentionally. I think that's true with all of us. Is that you know I talked about this. I'm sorry to bring up Moana again on the show, but when <laughs> when I reviewed Moana with you on Movie Podcast Weekly, I talked about my own racism, you know, my own prejudices, mm-hmm. you know, during that review, and it's just like it's racism also doesn't have to be pernicious like like you don't have to want to do something evil it's just it's just a demonstration of a prejudice based on ethnic differences or based on you know racial differences and that's it, that's just simply that's all it is and so i think t- in order to make progress there you just have to be open enough and not afraid to talk about it and it's scary because especially no one wants to be labeled with the term racist that's a you know because we have such horrible you know, cross-burning types of, um, you know, jackasses that come to mind with. Oh, that. sorry. <laughs> no, well, that too. But I'm just saying, like, we we have these horrible connotations that come with the word racism. But the racism exists, and so, like, I think what this movie does perfectly is it it shows us that in a way that any audience can relate to, whether you're black, white, or brown. You can see, like, oh, I see how this is working. Working, and I can relate to this whether or not it's a direct reflection of my experience and I think that's really the genius of the film beyond just the horror stuff yes sir I agree so if you guys don't yeah. mi- mind if we can circle back around to a scene and I'm sorry we're we're kind of like going back and forth on this movie a lot but let I just like to analyze you know from a filmmaking perspective and a performance perspective, that scene with Betty Gabriel, Georgina, when when she walks into his bedroom and he's confronting her about the cell phone getting unplugged, we've referenced it already. But so scary. That is a scary, <laughs> yeah, scary really scene. Is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here's the thing about that. Within context, you know, you can understand what's going on and the performance is great. But even out of context, even having seen that in the trailer... Just just in that little clip in the trailer before I saw the movie, I could tell from Betty Gabriel's performance that she was very conflicted, like just an extremely disturbed and conflicted, um, strained individual. Like, <laughs> and 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 the other thing is, is they get right up in her face, and 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 that performance with the camera there. I mean, she she has to emote and and portray all of that subtle nuance within that moment, like all the places that she goes there as a performer. It just it's mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Well, Willis, do you watch Legends of Tomorrow? Yep. I, I could, that's all I was thinking about the whole time. It's like, uh, you know, like the firestorm. Like the character, I'm like, I wonder if he got this idea from Firestorm. <laughs> like, there's this <laughs> old white guy inside the body of this teenage black kid, you know? Like, right. That's something to think about. But you know what was funny about we strange about that particular scene? You could see that her real side was coming out because she knew what was getting ready to happen to the guy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. since the white part of her was more in control of her body. There was nothing she could do about it. She was sitting there thinking, I wish I could help him out, but I can't because I'm not in control of this body at this point in time. 
Yeah. And those scenes, and like Keith Stanfield, he did that so well in his, you know, crazy scene he has at the party where his nose starts bleeding and then he kind of like attacks Chris, you know, um, his performance was good too. It wasn't, it, it, you know, it's hard to compete with the Georgina character, but his character was really amazing too. Just showing the duality of, you know, you gotta get out of here. You know? Well, we're, we're actually, and this is something I just like to point out too. And I'd encourage the horror fans to keep watching for this. Cause I think we're going to see it more and more, but something that I'm seeing as a trend in horror cinema now is in order to make us, the audience feel extremely uncomfortable. Um, we're getting these extreme close up shots where, you know, whether it's the monster or a disturbed person or someone that makes us leery, um, (laughs) the camera is so close up to them. And because we represent the perspective of the camera, that's us we feel like too close to her. So we're seeing that a lot more in horror cinema now where you get all these close-ups, and it's just, I always like push back in my seat to try to get a little bit of distance between me and them. <laughs> that's awesome. I was bummed out that the there's a shot in the trailer that's not in the movie, and it's a little bit more overtly horror, and I was so sad that that wasn't in the movie um, with the, uh, like the deer monster creature that would that was like in the in the darkness in the sunken oh the sunken place right right. the sunken place like it's so scary in the trailer i was just like this movie's gonna be a head trip and i felt that's another reference is this felt very nightmare on elm street to me at at times and and being john malkovich at times but um yeah yeah but i i think they could have gone really far with that and i I wish he would have put that horror imagery into the sunken place because i think once he goes in there you have a lot of freedom with what you do with the story you know you can kind of do anything you want really mm-hmm. um once he's in that kind of situation especially like hypnotism you can make him believe anything you want him to believe you know and that you could have had a lot of fun with that in a nightmare on elm street way well, in the, the Sungan place, it was interesting to me because usually that would not be my cup of tea, but I think it was so artistically done, it was interesting to look at it. Now, a question I had for you guys was, um, and, and this is something that didn't make sense to me. So he's when he's captive down there in that chair, he's strapped, and then he encounters, you know, the, basically the cotton, and I think that obviously that's on purpose that it ends up being cotton that he uses to save himself. Mm, that's interesting. That but is. I didn't even pick he, up. He has to do right. a little cotton picking before he can escape. Ex- exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but how, since his, his wrists his, uh, were strapped, how did he get the, the cotton balls up in his ears? I, I never mm. figured that out, but that was a magic trick. Cause I didn't even pay attention that his hands wasn't even, I guess I could tell you what happened. Um, I think somebody came in there. Wasn't it a brother that came in there and was unstrapping him? And he had already put the um, after he got unstrapped, he put the cotton balls in his ear. And the brother came back in after he had did it, but they didn't show it. Oh, see, you know, I, th- I thought it was earlier. I thought he had done it. The inference was that he had done it earlier because so he wouldn't hear the teacup. Right. Yeah, because rattling around. That's what I thought. And I was I don't know how he did it either, Jay. I gotta be honest with you. I mean, I well, guess he could a, I've not tried maybe. it. Yeah, I yeah. Not try, you know, but, but that's what protects the cotton it. there. 
Yeah. It saved him. Deleted scenes before. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But but the whole the whole hypnotism angle though is really interesting because when there's a there's a term you know that the people use like a phrase where you're um staying people are encouraged to stay woke right or stay aware to uh social injustices and racism and so forth and i think what's interesting about the whole hypnotism aspect is they get put under basically and then once they're put under they end up getting controlled and so if they aren't woke you know, if they don't stay woke, like he was able to do with the cotton balls in his ears, that um, then, you know, they're doomed. And so I think one of the messages is if you're not able to stay woke and be aware and stand up against this and try to prevent this from happening, then, um, you know, there's going to be more oppression. I think that's part of the message. Is that's actually a, it's a, actually a personal fear of mine. I mean, I was a time... I, I want to go back maybe 25 years where I was at a um, sort of a conference, an all-day conference, and there was a gentleman there who could hypnotize, and I had actually been um, uh, hypnotized in a way convinced that my fingers were twisted together and could not come undone. Um, and it kind of made me a little nervous about that, and then what really scared me about hypnotism, I guess, was stir of echoes. Oh, um, the thought that that it could it could not only you know trigger something within yourself, but it could it could make you prone to other things, you know, and and yeah. uh, that's what really terrified me about it, especially finding out that I have I am somewhat suggestible and somewhat open to uh, to such a thing. So um, the whole hypnotism thing really kind of got to me in that way, just personally. Cool. Yeah, like the, I'm I'm always like afraid. When there's like a movie with hypnotism, I'm like, I hope I don't get hypnotized right now. I'll like in the back of my mind. <laughs> right, right. That was interesting what you said, Jay, about staying woke. I thought that I thought that was a great uh, analogy there. Um, yeah, Stir of Echoes is, handles hypnotism really interestingly as well. I would say that this ele- that this is even better. But I thought that was great. Um, uh-huh. One thing, one thing I was thinking about. I was talking to Joel Robertson about this movie and uh, also from retro movie geek podcast. And he was talking about how that teacup becomes just this weapon. And there's that scene where Chris and um, Catherine Keener's the mom's character, like standing there and they look down at the teacup, almost like it's a gun on the table. Like in a regular movie, it would be the knife. Yes. And they have to both like dive for the teacup. Right. And it's the teacup. Exactly. That's a good point. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, so a couple other aspects in one scene, and I wonder what your take is on this. When the best friend character, the TSA guy, he went to the police, and they ended up being not only um, dis- dismissive and unhelpful, but they even mocked him. And I, I think you know, a, a couple things are interesting about that. It's like, okay, in this case, that they were not. You know, you would think that the police were, you know, what rescue you. And and like, and at the very end of the film, you would think there would be a sense of relief when the police show up. But actually, in the end of this film, it even makes it more intense. It makes it even scarier when the police show up. But I think it's interesting how, why do you think that he cast those three officers as um, 
one of them's name was Gonzalez, so maybe there was just supposed to be people oh. of color or whatever. Oh, but okay. I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, I think it's even. Do you think that there's a deeper thematic reason more than just like even his own people don't buy into his crazy conspiracy theory? Yeah, I just thought. Uh, okay, why? Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Why would he? Because I think one of the messages in America, one of the things that we're struggling with is there's this conflict or this problem with some. I don't want to get into. <laughs> okay, cops. so there, there, there's been violence between yes police officers and and what, so you're saying by maybe making them people oh. of color it diffuses that a little bit. Yeah, well, I just wondered. I mean, well, it I, makes, it makes them safe maybe as people to go to and like maybe these these police are more trustworthy because they're they're black and yeah, but it, like as Jordan Peele's like uh, my ultimately like it was his point in making them that way that as you said even even people of color aren't you know aren't being helpful and and was that a statement to say that some people like just to go back to the woke thing that that some people who are minorities or whatever that they're not and they're not tuning into this they're not trying to help the cause like i I wonder if that's what it was about i could tell you what it is the reason why he cast um all people of color for the role as the police because you try to tell black people something and they never want to believe you. So that was the point of that part in the movie. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Although you guys say what what he was telling them was kind of out there too. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. almost like if if you're like if you're the guy from um, Invasion of the Body Snatcher, you go and say, "Hey, there are these pods that are building people, and they're kept in these back." rooms and if you go back there you, you, you'll see that you know it's it's creating all of these people and and you know they're not going to you know who's gonna who's gonna believe it besides he was throwing something in at the end there you know they're turning him into sex slaves yeah you it's know, like so if he hadn't maybe if he hadn't said sex slaves they might have believed him you know like you're kind of like don't say it don't say it <laughs> yeah exactly right, right, right yeah i see them here's here's another interesting perspective and i and i would even say that um, this goes to a little bit of, you know, what I saw my 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 own mother experience in her um, mixed race, you know, relationship there. Um, the fact that in this in this film, the the white girl was was ultimately dangerous and deadly for the black man in this in this film, and I wondered if that was one of the messages because. Um, you know, there, there's been a lot of talk over the years where, you know, if a, if a black man is with a white girl, then he would receive, you know, some persecution or there have been instances where there would be violence because of this whole thing. And I wondered if if that was part of the message in that circumstance. Yeah, it's a fellow all over again. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah absolutely. Um, I've talked before about satellite stories where you've got kind of a, a backstory that just gives you a little more insight to a character. And, and I, I loved the satellite story in the sad circumstances surrounding his mother's death. And I love how that was a setup and payoff for later on where he, our, our hero actually tries, you know, he redeems himself in a way because he felt guilt his whole life at not being attentive to his mother because he kept watching TV. Meanwhile, she was, dying somewhere on the side of the road from the hit and run. And in this case, you know, there's that redemption arc where he's like, you know, I'm not going to do this hit and run and leave this woman to die. 
I, I thought that was remarkable that you put yeah. that in there. And it was super sad, too. And they set that up with the deer as well, which I really appreciated. I mean, there was the film is multi-layered and it's really tightly constructed. And so I, I, I appreciated that about every aspect of the movie. Everything is set up and paid off and it's really everything is working. You know, like we mentioned with the uh, the kind of um, liberal racist comments, I guess, earlier, how they were working, you know, on both levels at the same time. I feel like the whole movie is working that way it just feels like yes. extremely well written screenplay I'm with you yeah and I guess, I guess my final words on this would be um just I, I think that racism is a great subject for a horror film because let's face it and you know people who have been af- afflicted by this know even better than I do but racism is scary and I think that's that, that's a great topic for a horror film so any, any other comments on Get Out, Willis? Do you have anything else you want to say? Well, my parting words about Get Out is that it didn't cheat the um, audience like a bunch of fools, <laughs> which happens a lot in horror movies in general. Yeah. So that was a good thing to see. And it, the movie didn't drag out. It was 90 minutes like a good horror movie needs to be because a lot of times, if you go more than 90 minutes in certain situations or horror movies, it just feels like filler, and it just drags the movie on. And this movie didn't have any filler in it. Everything was straight to the point. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's yeah, excellent. Yeah, I agree. Okay. And Dr. Shock, what are your final thoughts on Get Out? Anything? Uh, no, not much of what we've... What I've said at the beginning, I think you got to get out and see it. This is a movie you got to see in the theater, and it's one that you should definitely uh, pick up. You know, um, when it comes out on on Blu-ray, and definitely support this one. And it's just very interesting. You know, last year I know for you guys, um, you know, Green Room. What was it? Came out in May, and that was your top movie of the year. I mean, this one mm-hmm. is 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 uh, going to be very interesting to see where this lands uh-huh. once uh, 2017 is over. Um, and this is even earlier than that. I mean, this is the, we're talking February here, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where this one lands on your list, on all of our lists mm-hmm. at the end of the year. Yes. I suspect pretty high up. What about you, Wolfman, Josh? Any final thoughts on Get Out? Um, I was just searching for listener comments on the website because I, I know Dino had left um, some thoughts, and then, I, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, Projectile Varmint had left some thoughts, and... And then I remember that Dustin had kind of given us some spoilers for his uh, his podcast, Horror Corridor, and it says here Dustin is um, talking about that white liberal racism. Um, so there's some really awesome comments. Now, those were for episode 111. Hopefully that discussion will continue from 112. But uh, I guess we're not going to have time to get into those listener comments tonight. But um, Dino's written a lot here. Dustin has projectile environment. Looks like a few other people really really good stuff as i'm scanning through it i'm thinking man we should have read this before uh we started podcasting well i I, and i imagine wolfman that i think i think a lot of people will be chiming in maybe on this episode as well and so i hope that maybe for our next episode we can go through some of the feedback and some of their thoughts for get out because i would like to hear from our community on this film because it's particularly interesting yeah, please join the conversation, but just so everyone knows, if you go back to episode 111's comments, 
there's a lot of comments about get out on there already so good mm-hmm. to know all right so there it is that's our review of get out from 2017 we hope that everybody will as doc says get out and go see it it's fantastic but Willis Wheeler, we really appreciate you being here and taking the time to review this with us tonight. And will you let the, the listeners know where they can find more of your work on the internet this week? You can find me on my YouTube page, Wildman Willis Reviews. Check me out on my Twitter page, Nasty Will DC. You can find me on the Tear Troop Podcast, the Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, and the NF. W commentaries podcast. All right. Yeah. Give uh Boss Butcher our love. Haven't talked to that guy in ages. So And he loved Get Out too. Did he? <laughs> yes. Well, he has great taste in movies. He likes the fifty foot snake Zilla woman. <laughs> he loves he loves movies like that. He's like yeah. he's a schlockmeister like our friend Dr. Schlock here, right, Dave? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Willis. Well, thanks for being here. We we appreciate you, buddy. Hope you have a good night. Thank you. Yep. Thank have you. a good one, sir. Thanks, Willis. Bye. Take care. Take care. Bye. All right, Dave. And I understand that it's just about your bedtime as well. Is that right? It's getting close to it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's getting close. We're grateful you could stay up with us and review this film. Where can the listeners um, find more of you on the internet, sir? You find me at D. Deep- DVDinfatuation.com um, at, at DVD Infatuation on Twitter, um, uh, on the Facebook page, and also at uh, on the Land of the Creeps podcast, uh, which is landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. Check it out there or find it on iTunes or Stitcher. And uh, I guess that's it. Okay, buddy. No sweat. <laughs> that's, that's about the end of that. All right. Well, thanks for being here, Dave. We hope you have a good night as well. Thank you, sir. Take care. I'll talk to you guys later. Okay, take care. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. You had said something about racism being scary, and it reminded me um, Twitter was alive this weekend after Get Out came out. I mean, there's so much interesting discussion about Get Out online and uh, just some um, hilarious tweets going out. But this guy, Denzikin James, uh, tweeted out a photo of the style page from the Washington Post. His tweet says, this is really the whitest headline, LMAO. And uh, it's a photograph of the style section of the Washington Post. And on the front page, full color, has a picture of Jordan Peele. And it says, a horror film that makes racism terrifying. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's like, yeah, racism is already terrifying. <laughs> oh, how did that? No, honestly. And I've said some dumb things in my time. But honestly, how did that get by their editors and, and stuff? <laughs> I mean, that's horrifying that. Oh, oh my goodness. That's pretty embarrassing. Yikes. I'll put an image of that in the show notes if people want to see it. It's pretty hilarious. Oh, love it. All right. Well, we still have more business to conduct on here on Horror Movie Podcast. And I'm so glad that you're here for this, Wolfman Josh. Let's move into our feature review of A Cure for Wellness. There is a sickness inside us. Rising like the bile that leaves that bitter taste at the back of our throats. It's there on every one of you seated around the table. Only when we know what ails us can we hope to find the cure. 
What do you make of that? Clearly he's lost his mind. Our thoughts exactly. Now, Josh, I haven't really heard anything about what you thought about this film yet, and I'm excited to, but what has shocked me is when I've heard you kind of in passing refer to it, you didn't seem like super excited about it, and I was kind of shocked by that. Did you not love A Cure for Wellness? No, I didn't like it at all. Really? I mean, I liked the cinematography. I thought the cinematography was amazing. Yes. Um... And I am a fan of Dane DeHaan. I think he is, you know, I say this a lot. He's my favorite actor of his generation. He's just one of these guys. When I saw him in A Place Beyond the Pines, was the first time I really remember seeing him. And I, you know, I'm not someone that keeps up with the superhero movies. I know he was in the Spider-Man movies, mm-hmm. so I, I'm sure that has ruined him for some people. But <laughs> yeah. he's an excellent actor. I always thought when he was younger, he should play a young Leonardo DiCaprio. Like they should put them in the same movie. And he could be like the younger version of him. It would be incredible. Um, but uh, they waited too long and now he's getting older too. But uh, anyway, he's amazing in this movie. Uh, the story is so convoluted, unnecessarily so. And uh, that's my biggest problem with it. It's also just gross for the sake of being gross. It's not that interesting to me. The, but the the main problem with all of this is that for me – is that the stakes don't make sense for our main character. Like, he should just have left. It doesn't. Why is he there? Why does he stay? Why does he care about anyone else that's in the story? All of these questions for me make everything else not matter, and it's the reason that Get Out is so successful, is you understand, you know, why everything's happening. It's, it, this, this film fails uh in the way that get out succeeds for me now there's there's a lot to appreciate visually it's incredibly striking um there's great effects great kind of horror set pieces um there's there's plenty to appreciate here i mean there's um beautiful location and sets and everything about that aspect aspect of it works but it's just a grody story like there's not you know like i've heard people (laughs) compare it to to hammer films and i and there's definitely you can see hammer influence here um it's definitely very lovecraftian and so i can appreciate that element but it feels like a movie that if i had heard oh this was based on a novel it's kind of like I would give it a pass more because I would say, oh, well, there must be a lot more to the story in the novel that explains some of this stuff. And I'm just not picking up on it in the in the film. But since it's not and since this is original story, I feel like it has a, a bigger responsibility to make sense internally and uh, and just, you know, take care of its plotting and storytelling. I think it's just a huge failure of plotting and storytelling um, in the screenwriting stage, I would say in execution, it pretty much mostly works. Um, I would say it's very distasteful toward the end. Um, the ending is just kind of like, oh, why? Yeah. <laughs> why are we, why? And, 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 and look, I also have to admit that I saw this with my wife, who is not a horror fan. And although she really enjoys good horror movies, when I like, when I take her to see something that I'm like, Oh, I know she's going to love there are a show or a film I've already seen that I know she'll like. So she loved train to Bassan. She loved mm-hmm. the final girls. She liked the movies that I kind of like handpicked for her. But when we just like happened into a horror movie and like in this case, and she's just like disgusted 
the entire time, I'm sure that affected my viewing experience because she yeah. was not happy that we were there the whole time. Well, <laughs> but, especially but for was, that ending, I bet. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, I was, well, I don't even think, the, the, I think she was more annoyed with like the eels and stuff than she was with the ending, <laughs> to be honest. Well, okay. She was just kind of like, this is sick. This is gross. Why are we watching this? Like, ew. Like, what? And then for me, it's just like, well, that doesn't even make sense. Like, if you're going to have this world, it has to be internally um, logical within that world. They don't set up the rules of this universe where it feels like in some cases we're supposed to believe we're in the real world. In other cases, we're in this fantasy world where uh, the laws, like the immutable laws of physics and like don't apply. And so like those types of things are very frustrating to me. Okay, so so you you know you. So this is a movie about. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you said a lot there. So I mean, and I you 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 got us going there. Um, you know, (laughs) you threw it to me. You threw it to me early. This this happens sometimes. (laughs) Let me say this: A Cure for Wellness is a 2016 directed by Gore Verbinski. 2017, right? Oh, I guess it is on on I am on IMDb. It says 2016, and so I just went ahead and read that. I know. Right sorry, off. sorry. IMDb is dumb, but go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. 2017 stars Dane DeHaan, Jason Isaacs, Mia Goth, and assortment of other uh, colorful characters. Uh, it's about a young American businessman who is sent by his company to retrieve the CEO from a wellness spa in the Swiss Alps, and when he gets there. He finds out no one ever leaves, and uh, we, uh, you know, as we as the film goes on, we start to understand why and what's going on. And there's an entire devilish, fiendish plot going on underneath, and it's very shot over in Smith. It's very Lovecrafty, and it's got a bit of the Wicker Man. It's got you know, it's the, a lot of the cult elements. It's got a lot in common with Get Out in the kind of most basic. Uh, elements of the story um but uh, mm-hmm. for me not a lot of in terms of uh storytelling okay yes well i think a lot of what you said there is <laughs> is honestly you you've got a point like for example because because i saw this on february 17th when it was released so i've had a couple of weeks to reflect on it and you know, when, when I reviewed it with Dino over on Movie Podcast Weekly, he said he didn't quite know how he felt about it yet at that time. And and I, I can understand that because what you said about the story, like the way that information, like particularly the exposition, the way that the mystery unfolds, it is very convoluted. And plus, we're talking about a two hour and 26 minute horror film here. And... Oh, it, yeah, I mean, that part is really m- messy and sloppy, I think. And and honestly, Wolfman, as much information as is given in this, because like one of Dino's complaints was that they kind of just went on and on and like kept telling you like this stuff over and over. And he's like, I get it. I get it. And for me, I was still walking out of the theater and I was piecing it together in my mind. It's like, OK, they said this. They said this. What does that add up to? And 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 that was one yeah. thing I had to do with this movie was kind of put things together. And honestly, with a film that is two hours and twenty six <laughs> minutes long, that's yeah. full of exposition, you shouldn't have to be piecing it together at the end. So I I, I give you that. I totally agree. 
it either needed less or more. And if it was less, that would have been okay because then it was supposed to not make sense. But it's like you're saying, like when they give you this much, it should it should make sense. Damn it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I agree with you on that. But however, let me just say, and, and the other thing I'll say because I, I'm coming around to champion this film in a minute, but I want to try to get <laughs> try to get people's you know a little bit of credibility here by being as objective as possible. You know, when I saw that it was Gore Verbinski directing this, I was a little bit nervous. Because even though he did fantastic job on The Ring, right? We know that's great. And, and he has had a couple of good movies, like the original Pirates of the Caribbean. Well, most of his movies are good, right? Well, like the, the Pirates movies, Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, those are abysmal. Um the right, and this is more. That's what I would say is this is more like the pirate sequels than the than the original. Like in terms of just being these like sprawling things that are just nonsensical and just it just starts all to blend into it itself. And you're just like, when will this ever get over? It's all the same. Like I would say, The Weatherman is an incredible film. Mm-hmm. The Ring is an incredible film. Yes, R- Ringo is an incredible film. It's good. Um, the first Pirates is an incredible film, and the Pirate sequels are blah. But I would say the majority of that's the majority of his movies are good, right? I mean, what do you say about? Movie. Well, what do you say about the Lone Ranger? <laughs> okay, well, I don't, I don't actually hate the Lone Ranger as much as everyone else. Okay, but I, it's not good, <laughs> right? And and then I, I, I enjoy elements of it, but I like it better than this. <laughs> wow. Like, a viewing experience. Look, I'm just looking at his filmography now. Mouse Hunt is good. The Mexican is good. Well, uh, the majority of his movies are good. Here's the problem with the Mexican. And I know this is, this is not even a horror film, but you've got Brad Pitt and Julia Roberts, right? Our two big stars. And they're separated, um, you know, for mu- much of the movie, almost the whole movie. And I think that's dumb. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. So, you know, we could argue, I guess, that maybe Gore Verbinski is 50-50. Maybe he's hit or miss. Um, Here's what I'll say about him. When he's got a good script, he can deliver. Mm-hmm. And when he doesn't, he just gets lost. And I think Ring Goo was an incredible starting point to make the ring. And a lot of people will argue that the ring, you know, the remake of Ring Goo was actually better than the original. And I think that's because he's an incredible visual storyteller. He is he uh, gets um, how to make us feel when we're watching films. But uh, but I think the script needs to be there in order for him to do his thing well. And I don't think the script was there for this. And I think the script for The Ring was. He had there was already a, you know a really strong framework there for him to build upon. So anyway. I think Ring, Rango also was just a, a really strong script, although that's also based on Chinatown. So it also had a very <laughs> strong starting point, you know? Yes, yes. That That is a great reference, by the way, that it was based on Chinatown. That's awesome. Yeah, which is one of, which is supposedly one of the great scripts. I mean, I, I would say that it is. It's pretty yeah, fantastic. I think so. Okay, now, see, I, I guess... What you're saying is legitimate, and especially the fact that your wife saw it with you and she wasn't pleased. I mean, I understand that perfectly. <laughs> but honestly, <laughs> um, the thing is, Josh, when I saw this, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear how much Josh loves this movie because I thought for sure you'd like it. Because to me, it is a bit of an art film. 
it definitely has great artistic merit. I think a lot of it's well executed. Yes. It's beautiful, as you've said. It's striking was your word, which is exactly right. And and I think for a horror flick, even for a horror flick, this is kind of a cinematic oddity. I mean, you mentioned the oh, eels. For sure. Eels yeah. are very creepy, okay? Like, I've always kind of thought eels were creepy, but the way they're employed in this film really ramps up the stakes there. And then you've got, um, and I won't go into spoilers or anything, but you've got a dental a dental horror scene, which is... <laughs> <laughs> which is quite strong <laughs> one of the strongest i can remember period like i mean it's it, it's up there with like the dentist you know that horror movie but um all right marathon man oh, the- oh yeah yeah yeah. And, and in fact uh, that's what carl brought up <laughs> he mentioned that as well so there was that aspect of it um so so you have these really weird elements where you're going through the film and it's like okay is this so this is a mystery it's kind of a drama sometimes it's a fantasy and then it does get into full-blown horror but i think this is more along the lines of um like what is it like there there are films that this is like there's yeah i had some on my mind when i first saw it but it, it really has not stuck with me to be honest um like yeah it's 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 very much in the form of something else and and I, it's dumb that we can't remember I, I know. well yeah i'm i'm on cold medicine which is part of my problem so my <laughs> mind isn't working well tonight but but honestly this is one of those horror films for me where if you have friends who don't watch a lot of movies and they say yeah i want to see something kind of crazy kind of nuts i think this is a perfect horror flick to put on for them because they would be like what is going on in this movie like personally i'm never watching a movie you recommend ever again (laughs) why would you recommend that well i mean it's the kind of movie you've been to like let's see like i don't know if you've ever gone to like the andy warhol museum or like these art exhibits where they'll show (laughs) a weird a weird little art film in a room and you walk by and you just see this art film playing in the room. Like, I think this is, you know, along those lines for like I own the Andy Warhol flush collection or whatever it's called. <laughs> you would. I no. don't recommend people buy that, but um, <laughs> no, it's uh, like I it is, you know, even as we talk about it, I feel bad about what I've said about it already because it is really like visually arresting like it's the costumes are costumes you want to live in the location is the location you want to live in like everything about it you know that just from that opening train shot i was just like okay i yep. love this and I, yes. I was with the movie for the first three fourths but then what the problem is is and we've talked about this a lot it's probably more on movie podcast weekly but i really put myself in the filmmaker's hands and say okay i trust you take me on a journey i'm going to you know, give you leeway all throughout this because I'm going to believe that you're going to be able to bring it all around in the end. And then when they don't, it's so jarring and you feel violated. You feel like I just made myself extremely vulnerable <laughs> to you and I let you play with my emotions and I, I trusted you. And then you, uh, you, you didn't come through for me. And so it is just really like, I get a little bit angry at the movie. It's just like, come on, like, you know, I did my part. You didn't do your part, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> and so I, yeah, it's, it's hard because in horror films, we don't get movies that look this great very often. We don't get movies with, you know, casts and locations this big that often. And so you want to be appreciative and you want to uh, reward a guy like Gore Verbinski who can do anything he wants right now. And he's the only reason this movie exists because of his yeah. success right. with his other films. There's not another horror director where they're like, here's $40 million do whatever the hell comes to you, you know, <laughs> like, and that's what this is. This is here's $40 million go nuts. And, um, he did, and I'm not super impressed with what he did, but it's kind of like, you don't want to lift, look a gift horse in the mouth. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for trying to do something really huge that was for us. You know, I don't want to be unappreciative of that, but I, it's it has it smacks of someone who has almost too much artistic control. They don't have they're not they don't have people around them that you know a strong producer <laughs> will just say like this isn't working. Yeah, it's not reining them in. So it's 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 not quite like Terry Gilliam level of you know, but well, I prefer Terry Gilliam. This is <laughs> <laughs> I figured that actually. Go ahead. Well, this is more. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This is like later Spielberg. This is like Spielberg's War of the Worlds to me. It's like, oh come on, no. We should. No, don't say that. Well, War of the Worlds is better than this in a lot of ways. Yes. First of all, let it, me just say that it is. But I think, but I think War of the Worlds is another case of we should be super grateful that a, a director at the height of his powers is choosing to tell a story that matters to us as an audience and is going to put everything he has into it. It's actually how I kind of feel about these new Universal Monsters movies, too. It's like, I should be grateful. I should be grateful that a major studio is putting movie stars and millions of dollars behind stories that I care about. Yeah. But they're not coming out right. <laughs> like, right. right. Yeah. I, I can see that. Well, okay. So a couple of other things. I just... I, I feel like we keep talking about the negative aspects. and Like, uh, I'm... I'm not liking the way this review is going, Wolfman. <laughs> Such a bully. No, I'm just kidding. But, but okay, so let, let's let's appreciate a couple of things real quick because I believe that we have uh, listeners out there who will actually get a, a fine appreciation of this. So, for example, this is filmed at a castle in Germany, just so people know. It takes place in uh, Switzerland, and it's shot entirely in Germany. And these locations are breathtakingly beautiful. And you mentioned the train shot in the opening. Uh, the, yeah. the camera's like sticking, it's like hanging out the window on the side of this train. And this train is, um, it's like a speed train. It's going around the turn and, and about to enter a tunnel. And in the background are these breathtaking mountains. And I know that just me describing it is not doing it justice. But if you see this, you're like, wow. Like a part of me, Josh, and I know this is a little bit, you know, blasphemous or something, but, but a part of me was like, that is so beautiful. That is this CGI right here? Like, cause this is, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you don't see imagery like that very often in the cinema. I would have just as soon watched that camera on that train for two hours as watched this. Movie. Oh, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, but I'm, to me, it's a testament of like, that's so beautiful. 
I don't know. Maybe that's more just my own stuff. Yeah. Bringing <laughs> it's like interesting photography. We talked about Jerry all the time on movie or uh, movie <sighs> podcast weekly, but I love just Jerry. good photography for two hours. Like just, just pretend you went to uh, an art installation at a museum and you just were looking at photography for two hours <laughs> instead of watching a movie. If you watch a cure for wellness like that, you might really enjoy it because the photography is gorgeous and everything they're photographing is gorgeous. That's such a shame, though, Josh, because I I tell you, like, um, I mean, this, as you said, the production budget was like 40 million and this thing only raked in 7.8, 7.8 million. That's it. And that's. Yeah, that's on a production budget of 40 million. Yeah. Uh, Get Out had a budget of like 4 million and brought in like 38 million. So it was almost the reverse in terms of budget to profit. And, and and part of me, I don't really understand how that happened, honestly, because like there was actually pretty good buzz around this. People were intrigued by the trailers, yeah. from what I understand, yeah. and the and the poster. I remember when I first saw that poster, the little blue bottle. I I was like really excited about it, and the and the title is intriguing as well. I don't think that be word of mouth, don't you think? Well, you mean people saw it and they're like, okay, that wasn't my cup of tea. Don't go see this. See, the people that I heard that saw it appreciated it like I did, except for, like, I think Jeff Hammer hated it. But here's the thing is that I think there were, you know, listeners of our podcast on Twitter saying, hey, have you guys heard about this movie, A Cure for Wellness? It's it's trailers look like it's supposed to be a horror movie or something, but it's not right. And, you know, and I would respond like, yeah, you know, we talked about this on our 2017 preview show. But so I think the core audience that may have come out in support of a horror movie didn't necessarily come out to this. And then a mainstream audience are probably people like my wife who are like, that was sick. You shouldn't ever see this movie, (laughs) you know, and I, and I don't know, like, I mean, yeah, I thought the trailers were really strong. Gore Verbinski's a name. It looks incredible. Like I, I, I don't know why it didn't have a bigger opening weekend at least because um, you would think it would take a week for the word of mouth to really kill something like this. I mean, to only make yeah. 5 million, you would think this could have at least made 20 million before the word of mouth would have killed it. Yeah. But I don't know. It's a mystery to me. Well, a lot of times I use like Andy and Carl on movie podcast weekly to represent the quote unquote, every man, <laughs> And, and Carl's reaction to this trailer was like, you know, he was so like, I guess, appalled and dismissive. Uh, like he just thought it looked dumb and it's like, but, but Ryan over there, who's not a horror fan, he thought the trailers looked amazing because they actually had a really good trailer during the Super Bowl on those commercials and Ryan was excited about it. Now he didn't see it either, but <laughs> but i mean i i had been really excited now this probably speaks more to the storytelling again but what how did you feel about the title and how all of that um bore out like in terms of the meaning of the title and its relevance to the film did did you like that or not yeah it's interesting i mean i think you could talk about for a long time what the message of this movie actually is Yes. So I think it seems to bash us over the head that it's an anti-corporate film and that it's all about, you know, uh, abandoning the, you know, this hustle and bustle of 
city life and getting grounded. But then if you think about the characters who are saying that these are the villains of the film with completely nefarious intentions and they're not curing these people in any way. And so is the film actually saying the opposite of that? Is the film actually saying don't buy into all of this like new age mumbo jumbo, (laughs) who knows, you know, like there's a lot, I think that's possible. And then the movie doesn't even care about any of those questions because it starts telling this really weird story about pedophilia and, and (laughs) incest and all kinds of awful things that have nothing to do with. And like science experiments that don't work that are like Frankensteinian uh, mumbo jumbo. Anyway, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very convoluted is what I would say about the film. It's just, uh, I don't think it knows what it wants to say specifically. It seems like to me, Gore Verbinski and the screenwriter started talking about ideas and they got super excited about all of these ideas. <laughs> yes. Gore Verbinski's like, I want this to be in it and I want this to be in it. Yes. This is going to be awesome. And the screenwriter went away. He's like, okay, how do I make this into a story? Now? <laughs> oh, and they could, they never figured that out. <laughs> no, see, that's so hilarious that you say that. And I, you know, I hate that. I hate that that's so funny to me, but I'll tell you, okay, here's a little quick anecdote. Um, Back in the day when, when there were still cassette tapes, right? (laughs) For those who remember those, I had a a whole drawer full of cassette tapes and I was a songwriter like you, Josh, I'm a musician and my best friend and I, we were up like in the middle of the night, just goofing off and we're like, you know what? Let's write a song, but what we're going to do is just randomly grab, you know, these a cassette tape, put it in the player, push play, and whatever chord is being played right then, we're going to write that down. And we did this like, you know, 12 times, 12 different songs. And we put together this really wacky song from these random selections of chords. And then wow. we wrote weird um, lyrics and stuff. And it ended up being this, as you say, the Frankensteinian creation of just bizarreness. And and honestly, th- that is what this film feels like. I mean, there are a lot of like aspects of horror in it. There are a lot of weird things that you're like, what is what is this? And like, you know, I, I mean, it's all in there. And it is like yeah. just this whole smorgasbord of just like weirdness. Which sometimes art is most appreciated by the artists <laughs> and uh and even if it looks really good like this it's maybe not you know for everyone i don't know I, the the screenwriter here i'm looking at his filmography he wrote the clearing which was kind of a big breakout film for him because robert redford decided to be in it not a great movie in my opinion uh revolutionary road which is excellent uh, snitch which is good lone ranger not so great and then a cure for wellness. So um, I don't know. He seems like he's Gore Verbinski's friend and they had fun on the Lone Ranger and they just decided to do something crazy because they could do anything they wanted. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. The thing is, when I when I walked out of this, it was one of those experiences for me where I was like <laughs> kind of dazed and I was and I said to myself, in essence, I don't know what I saw but I think it was great. <laughs> you know. And honestly, I did feel like that. I feel like, I feel like there's greatness to this. Although 
it's been two weeks. It's really late. I have cold medicine in my system, and so I have not been able to defend it very well at oh, all. I, apo- I apologize. No, it's it's not your fault. It's my fault. I've failed. I've failed the film. I was not a good champion for this movie, but I'm telling the listeners out there, if you like oddities, if you like weirdness, and and if you like a, a film going really far in, in certain directions, I think this does that. And I think a cure for wellness is something that's interesting. One last point before I rate it. Um, we have a, there there is a sequence that really kind of bothered me. Um, now, of course, anytime there's like sexual assault depicted, that's upsetting. And it's supposed to be upsetting. And I get that. But when you have casting of like, you know, a much older man doing things to a much younger actress, when this happens yeah. in a film, like in the example that comes to mind for me is Reanimator, where you have a much older actor doing something to a young actress. And, and Josh, I'm not passing judgment. I, I'm really not. It sounds judgmental, but it just it just bothers me because and even though, yes, it is supposed to bother you on one hand, it's also like, yeah, but this older actor still read the script and he's still agreeing to do this because even though, as we said earlier, for when we quoted Bill Paxton, when when something is done on screen, you know, there's no sexuality to it. Um he's still agreeing to do it. And so there's a scene in here that is very icky that way. And I'm like, wow, you know, it just, it really bothered me. What did, what did you think about that? Yeah, I didn't love it. I mean, it wasn't, um, it was, it's like you said, it's never pleasant. I, I don't care to see sexual assault depicted in, in cinema. Uh, you know, it, sometimes it's absolutely necessary for the story, those stories aren't always the ones that interest me. Uh, in this case, this wasn't my biggest problem with it, though. It's that it seemed like a scene from another movie. It didn't. See, I don't get why this story. Why do I even care about this story? Like I, I didn't feel any emotional impact from that, other than like, yeah, that was gross, and that's how I felt about the eels. Like oh, that was gross, <laughs> but I don't care, you know. Like, and yeah. that's that's my problem with it. I just didn't care about the characters. I think this one also is a little bit cruel to the audience because the actress, Mia Goth, although she, you know, she was in Nymphomaniac, Lars von Trier's film. So she's not a stranger to, um, you know, being nude on screen, but she is cast to be very young. She's cast to be someone who is just coming of age into womanhood. Mm -hmm. And she looks pretty young. And so uh, it, I th- would say that it's pretty cruel to put the audience in a position where they have to experience that um, just above and beyond yeah. any other sexual assault that might take place in a movie. But um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't love it. I, I didn't like it, and I, but I didn't, it didn't bother me generally other than what I just said, except for just the fact that it's like, why am I in this story all of a sudden? <laughs> the other story was so much more interesting to me. Yeah. And that was my problem. And it's just like, I don't get why Dane's character is still here. Like, why is he here? Why does he care about this either? Like, why is this happening? Why is he sacrificing himself in this situation? And just all of those things were my issues with the film. There's not, the movie didn't work for me in an emotional impact sort of way. I've been way harder on this film than I actually feel about it. And I feel bad now because 
I feel like this happened when we reviewed The Witch, which was a movie I liked. But something about the way that you uh, pose the question, <laughs> I, I just kind of get into this uh, posture where this is the way I'm approaching the movie. I actually I hate this movie. But you said you left it and you said, um, you know, I think I just saw something great. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. When I left it, I, th- I was like, that was a miserable experience, you know. And, oh. um, and I, you know, I got online and started talking to some of our, our listeners and friends. And I was in the minority. Like, they all liked it. Uh, the ones that I talked to, Red Cap Jack, uh, Mark, Dark Mark, um, I think Dino and David and the people that I talked to, as far as I can remember, all appreciated the film much more than me. So I, I will say, even though Jay is on meds and I'm taking advantage of that, uh, <laughs> I think I'm in the vast minority here as far as I can tell amongst our horror you know, fans. I don't know how that tr- might translate to the other word of mouth that's out there about the film, but um, it just seemed directionless. I know Red Cap Jack said he thought it was 40 minutes too long. I think that's a, a bit of an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> it is lengthy, though. I mean, it's... But it is lengthy. Yeah. And, I, and I, like you said, it, it either needs more or less. You know, like, it's just not... There's not enough there to actually make sense of the story. And if it's going to be vague, can you cut out 20 minutes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah and maybe that's maybe that's what you know if you try to put your finger on it maybe that's part of the problem was the editing because honestly there would be times where our protagonist seems to be going down this one road here like you know so and then cut to the next scene and our protagonist seems fine again like it's it's really bizarre where that's screenwriting too i and i personally lay the full blame on the screenwriting and uh, for me okay all right so okay so what do you rate a cure for wellness and i've been thinking about this a lot because as we've said there are a lot of really great elements about it and i was legitimately enjoy myself for more than half of the movie, but it didn't come through in the end. And that really became kind of this diminishing experience, uh, you know, as it went. Um, so like the artistic side of me that appreciates the cinematography and the sets and everything wants to say like, this could be up in the eight range, but my overall experience was down in like the four range. So I'm going to, I'll go wow. ahead and give this a six. <laughs> I, I think it's a rental. I would not pay to see this in the theater. Um, if you are someone who really loves like a hammer horror film, if you're someone who really loves a Lovecraftian shot over in Smith kind of tale, you might get a lot more out of this. Um, I like those things, but apparently not enough. Um, so uh, yeah, I would avoid seeing this in the theater personally, but uh, I would say go ahead and rent it. Well, over on uh, movie podcast weekly, our friend Dino he was about in that range at the time. He gave it a seven and he said, see it in the theater and rent it. And Dino felt like that it would be a film that he would revisit again eventually is what he said. But for me, Josh, I, I actually, I appreciated it a great deal. I didn't love every aspect about it. I did take off some, but I do think, I think there's a greatness to it. And I love oddities. I love little cinematic treasures. And I think that, in the year 2056, you know, there will be horror fans who happen onto this thing and <laughs> it'll be a little gem to them. And so for me, this is a nine out of 10. Actually, I gave it a nine uh, and um, 
I just can't remember a hundred percent why, wow. but I, I, I did love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just out of it, but I, I said, see it in the theater and I think it's a buy because I think it's just well, an interesting film to put on for somebody and, and just show them a wild time in, in horror cinema and it is one of the most beautiful horror movies I've seen in a long time. Well, you know, I, I think it's comparable. It's not It's not quite at... Well, I mean, it's up there with the wailing in terms of its appearance, like the beauty of it. Would yeah, you say that's hard true? For, that's hard for me to admit that, but you're right, yeah. I mean, I think, like, the movie I was expecting was Shutter Island, and I would have... I like Shutter Island far better than this. Yeah. So that's... I think don't go in expecting Shutter Island because I think the trailers kind of give it that vibe. Um, yes. And that's not what this is. But, uh, but right. so I think I, I had some false expectations there as well, which it's not fair to the film, but it is my experience. So I can't, I can't lie about that. But it is one of those hospital movies where, you know, you go in sick and you, you get, you know, it gets worse. Like your health, yeah. your health deteriorates in this hospital. Yeah, that part's fun. It, it, look, it was a lot of fun. I, I, I just, it's, it hit a point where I just didn't care anymore about anyone. And yeah, some of that was the length, some of that, but a lot of that was just the writing and the storytelling. Me Goth, the actress who I was just talking about, it looks like she is in the Suspiria film, which has been made. You know, David Gordon Green, who is now attached to Halloween, um, had been for a long time attached to a Suspiria remake. And the director that's directing it now I'm not familiar with. He's a foreign fellow who's done a lot of work. Uh, but Mia Goth is on the cast for Suspiria. The film is completed, and it stars like Dakota Johnson and Chloe Grace Moretz, Tilda Swinton as well. And so it could be interesting. I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing that now. <laughs> I know you're not, but yeah. 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 Well, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll probably end up seeing it, but all right. Well, I'm sure people will probably think that our review of a cure for wellness was about 40 minutes too long as well, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this is what we do and we have a good time. But jo- I was ranting and raving. I apologize. I don't know what came <laughs> over me, but um, <laughs> no, that's I okay. really did I just didn't even care about the film that much, but I feel bad that you loved it that much. And I just, uh, bulldozed my way through that review, but I know I need to, I need to revisit it so I can come back on here and tell people why it's a nine. <laughs> I just don't okay. remember. Well, if you wake up tomorrow and you remember, you can just record over everything. I said. <laughs> Fair enough, Josh. All right, everybody. Well, I think that just about wraps up episode 112 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. And Josh, tell them what's coming on St. Patrick's Day in two weeks. They're going to love this. Leprechaun, no. Um, (laughs) We are doing our long-awaited heavy metal horror episode. We had been waiting for the theatrical release of The Devil's Candy. It was a film that you know had played film festivals and then uh, didn't come out for a while. And so uh, this is a film directed by Sean Byrne, the director of The Loved Ones. It stars one of my favorite young actors, Ethan Embry. I guess he's not that young anymore. <laughs> he used to be. And uh, just a really interesting film. That's going to be paired with Deathgasm, and there's going to be a lot of talk about the representation of heavy metal music and culture in horror films, as well as the use of horror imagery 
in heavy metal music. We're going to have some awesome guests on. Carl Cederholm, who we've been waiting to get back on the show for a long time, our HP Lovecraft scholar, is probably very upset with me after my review for Cure for Wellness. Uh, he's going to come on. He's a metal expert as well, and he's going to come on and talk about that. We also have Chris Robo, who was previously on the Rotten Rantings podcast, is a good friend of the show. Mm-hmm. He previously on Rotten Rantings did a whole episode on rock and roll horror, and so he's got a lot of movie to reference that he can tell us about and report on all of the other examples that we're not going to be caught up on, I can tell you, <laughs> before that episode. Right. Um, but Chris himself was in a metal band and loves metal. And so uh, some awesome guests for that episode, as well as a few surprises that I think are really going to excite people when they hear them on the episode. That's right. So that's on a horror movie podcast. That'll be episode 113. And that releases around March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. So we hope you'll join us for that. All right, Joshua, tell the listeners where they can find uh, more of your work on the internet. I am at moviestreamcast.com. I have been guesting recently on the sci-fi podcast.com where we reviewed Night of the Creeps from Fred Decker, director of The Monster Squad. I did that with Matroid. That was a lot of fun. Um, I have Universal Monsters cast where we're talking about the Emerging Monsters universe. I've new episode that is crazy and has a lot of industry professionals that would be worth listening to. It's taken longer to come together than we had hoped because we have all of these big names involved and they're hard to schedule, but it's, it's a great episode. It should be coming out soon. And uh, we've got a lot of awesome other mummy coverage and we're, I think we're even going to do some King Kong coverage with the release of Skull Island. That should be a lot of fun. I am on social media at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. Okay, that's great. And I hope people will check out the sister show to this, which is Movie Podcast Weekly, where we review new stuff that's in theaters. And we recently talked about the Academy Awards ceremony. And and I have a little news feed up in front of me, Josh, here. And I see that... Um, Price Waterhouse Coopers accountants that are responsible for this. Um, mm-hmm. the, I guess the Oscars are no longer going to work with with those accountants oh, that were man, involved in ouch. that in that big uh, mess up. But that was pretty hilarious and, and unfortunate. Anyways, people can hear our thoughts and review on <laughs> the Academy Awards at moviepodcastweekly.com. Otherwise, uh, we love your comments. We hope that you'll get involved in the community here. If you haven't already, you can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 801-382-8789. Get some good voicemails coming up for you soon. You can find all of our past episodes, including the weekly Horror Movie Podcast archive, as well as the Horror Metropolis archive on our website. You can subscribe free in iTunes and leave us a review. We're also on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. We also have an Instagram, right, Josh? At HorrorMovieCast. That's right. Exactly. We want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our podcast theme song. You can find Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. And we also want to thank Kagan Breitenbach, who has enhanced and enriched (laughs) Fred's theme song, with some additional orchestration 
And you can find Kagan's music at kaganbreitenbach.com. And I think that's it. So we thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.